what hope, what expectations we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. What did you come here expecting this morning? When you got up out of bed, what was the first thought in your mind and your heart? What do you expect to happen here this morning? When you come to worship, you expect to God, you expect God to be present. Do you expect to meet him here? Do you expect when you walk out the doors of this sanctuary out into your out into the streets and go to dinner this afternoon, go back home, do you expect to be a little different than what you when you came this morning? What kind of expectations do you have? You know, we all have expectations uh, that we uh, we have to meet as we go through life. You know, parents have expectations of their children and uh, spouses have expectations of one another and employers, employees. They come to the job situation with certain expectations. Uh, you have uh, expectations of your pastor. Uh, and uh, he has certain expectations of you. I have expectations of you, you of me, so forth. We all have expectations, certain expectations uh, of each other. But when you get right down to it, the expectations that we hold over one another as we move through life are really nothing more than us holding people to our standards. Holding people to our standards. But did you know that God has expectations of his people? You think much about that? Does it really uh, have an impact on your life, what you believe God expects of you? I want us to read the passage this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. And the, um, the text that we're actually going to be discussing this morning, preaching, I'll be preaching from, is verses 12 through 17, uh, 12 through 16 of Philippians 2. But I want to read this in context. And so with your Bibles, will you stand uh, open to Philippians chapter 2? And we're going to read beginning with verse 1. It's a very significant chapter. And uh, the context uh, provides a very significant context for what uh, I want to share with you this morning. Paul, you know, has been talking about the sufferings which he has been uh, enduring uh, for the sake of Christ and how his sufferings have borne out for the good of, uh, of everyone and for, the Christ, for Christ and the kingdom of God. And he says, <clears throat> in beginning in verse uh, chapter 2, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Now, for our text this morning, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to do, to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Father, the expectations which you have of us are sometimes can seem overwhelming. But Lord, that is only when we think in terms of our own strength, our own abilities. But Lord, we know that you are at work in us and the things that you require of us are things which you have enabled us to do by the work, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, as we examine this passage this morning, we are praying that your Holy Spirit may enlighten our minds and our hearts. And, Father, we may have good understanding that, Lord, we may walk in faithfulness and obedience with you in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. You know, uh, this letter we're reading here... uh, was written about uh, some of these expectations we've been talking about. You know, the church in Philippi, to whom the letter is written, was a, was a good church. It was the first Christian church in Europe. And it had been founded by the Apostle Paul. And now it's been 10 years since that founding. All right, And uh, the church has really proved to be quite a blessing to everyone. Paul... Now, as he writes this letter, is a prisoner in Rome. And these folks there in Philippi, these blessed brothers and sisters, are reaching out to help Paul. They send a man named Epaphroditus to Rome with a gift for the apostle. And Epaphroditus tells Paul about how things are going on at the church in Philippi. Well, Paul discovers that the church is in danger But it's not from things that are outside the church, but it's from some disunity that is within the church, within the body. It seems that there are some quarrelsome people there in Philippi, and they were murmuring and complaining. And uh, you read this letter here, it's plain to see that this was hurtful to Paul, and it was hurting the cause of Christ. Folks, look, it is never right for God's people to be at odds with one another. We can get into some disagreements, some arguments, and even fights over some of the most inane things you have ever thought of in your entire life. Nothing but pride that has risen up and divided people. It is never Christ-like for people to grumble and to argue with one another. We're commanded in the Word of God to walk in unity and openness, and humility, 
And so in this chapter that we've just been reading here, uh, in this chapter 2, it, it deals with this divisive spirit that had invaded the church here in Philippi. In the first four verses that we read there, that we see a plea from the apostle for self-denial, for humility, for mutual concern and unity among the believers there. And then following that in verses 5 through 11, Paul describes the perfect pattern that for all things, and that pattern is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in the verses that uh, we have read uh, for our text, verses 12 through 16, we're going to consider this morning. He gives us the process. Okay, this is going to be the process whereby we can become more Christ-like in our daily lives. You see, God doesn't leave us on our own to understand how he expects us to behave and how we are to relate to one another. It's very clear in his word. If you're not familiar with how that is supposed to work, then you're not in the word. You need to be reading God's word on a regular basis. God expects his people to live like Jesus while they're here in this world. Now, you know, it may not be fair for me to impose my expectations upon your life. But listen, folks, God has the right to expect anything that he demands from us. After all, he is our creator. God created us in his image. We are the ones who corrupted that image We are the ones who chose to turn away from God and to walk our own path, to live our own life according to our own plan and the ways of this world. And so God made an investment. He paid a tremendous price in order to make open the way for us to come back to him. God has given the life of his son, the blood of his son, Jesus, on the cross to redeem us. And now we belong to him. We are God's personal possession. We are the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. So, with all this in mind, let's look at these verses here for just a few minutes. Uh, as you can see from your outline there in the folder, I hope you'll use it all right, as we move along here and, and help to be a reminder to you later on as you go back and review the thoughts that uh, God has given to you and the notes that you've made there. I want to talk about uh, the expectations in the Christian life. And so, what we have here as um, uh, the first item on our uh, is the expectation of the Christian's work. The expectations of the Christian's work. He Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Uh-huh. And so in the very opening sentence of that passage, those two verses we just read, we see that uh, Paul makes a statement. He says, as you have always obeyed, therefore, as you have always obeyed. You see, this is so significant. It's a reminder that, that how God has been our enabler and he has been the one who has enabled us to walk in obedience to his commands. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We will walk in obedience with him in his incarnation, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the prime and the perfect example of humility, obedience, and the servant spirit. As we saw, that word, first word in that sentence there, therefore, that points back to what Paul has just described as the pattern for our living day by day. And so we see that um, uh, the, the faith, of, the Christian faith, 
It stands on two foundations. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. You know, oh my, one of my favorite hymns is that old hymn. I'm sure many of you know it. You know, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, oh, what a glory he sheds on our way. If we do his good will, he abides with us still. If only we trust and obey. What a wonderful promise that we have from God. James says it this way. He calls it faith and works. There in in chapter 2 of James, verse 18. Now, if you ever need a motive, folks, if you ever need a motive to be surrendered to the will of God for your life, then you don't need to look any farther than the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he is the one who gave everything. Jesus held back nothing. He gave his life in its entirety. And with among all the humiliation and the shame, he willingly gave himself for you and I. Oh, my word. May we adopt this attitude that Job had when he was in the depths of despair. And he cried out, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And so not only do we have the example of our work, but we also have the exhortation in our work. We're told there in that same uh, verse 12 there that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Wow. Isn't that a, a wonderful affirmation? Your own salvation it's your personal salvation. It's my salvation. The, the Christian faith is, is, is something that we possess. God has given that to us. All right, what a great possession we have in when he saved us. The reason that salvation is mine is because it was his first. All right, he planned it. He purposed it. He pursued it and he paid it. And he has pressed it upon my heart. And salvation became mine and it became yours when we placed our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This salvation, when we receive it, oh my soul, Lord, it buries the past. It changes the present. It ensures the future. What a great salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And we are told here to work it out. I like that. He says, I gave you this. Now go and work it out. Okay? I'll work it out. All right. You know, this phrase has been so misunderstood, so misapplied for about 2,000 years, ever since it was written. Uh, So so many folks just misinterpret the way it's it's written. He said, first of all, it doesn't mean that we have to work to be saved. All right? Remember what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and it's what? Not of works. Not of works. It is a God's gift to us. And so it doesn't mean that we have to work in order to obtain salvation. We already have salvation. These people that Paul was writing to here in Philippi, they were already saved. And it doesn't mean that we have to work out some kind of inward salvation. You know, some people think that there is a spark of divinity, okay, uh, and, and that it, uh, that everyone has, okay? True, 
we were created in the image of God. But that died. That was corrupted when we fell into sin. All right. But listen, folks. Some folks believe that that spark is there. And all you have to do is just fan that spark a little bit and it's going to burst into flame. Well, I want to tell you something. We don't have, we, before we came to Christ, we didn't have a thing within us but hell and sin and death. Now, it doesn't mean either that we have to work to stay saved. We don't have to work to stay saved. When we work, the works that we do through in Christ Jesus is not so that we can stay saved. Jesus already said that there is nothing that's going to separate us from him. There is nothing that we can do that will, that will allow anyone to take us out of the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to work to stay saved. When he speaks here about fear and trembling, he's not referring to our, our groveling before the Lord. Uh, as, as though we were a slave before his master or something of that nature. Instead, uh, he, this fear and trembling ought to be ours because of the weakness of our faith in the ways of the world and the wiles of the devil. This fear and trembling reminds us of just how prone we are to fail. When the Bible commands us to fear the Lord, it means to reverence him. Reverence him. We have, we are, we're, we're, we're to have such great reverence for God and everything that has to do with Him. We must be sure to keep it all separate, to keep it all holy. We are to avoid temptation and we are to keep ourselves cleansed and filled with the righteousness of God. And here, He cautions us. To fear the failure that dwells so close to the surface in our lives. So, if salvation, if it uh, work out your own salvation doesn't mean those things, what does it mean then? It means to complete it. It means to finish what God has already started, right? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Oh, my goodness. We are to carry it all to completion. He's talking about here moving deeper in the things of the Lord. He's talking about growing toward maturity. As we spend time in the Word of God, as we are obedient to Him, as we engage in the works of service for the kingdom, as we see God working in and through us and blessing the lives of other people, we continue to grow in our faith, and God continues to challenge us with more and with greater things to do. If we back away, if we turn away from those things which God places before us, you know what happens to our faith? It just shrivels. Dries up. We cannot relate to God. We cannot serve God if we're living in disobedience to God. So what he's talking about here is this, the, the ultimate goal of our salvation is becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Far too many people get in, but they never go on. They never move from there. You know, it's kind of like mining. You know, God put minerals in the earth, and men, uh, miners, you know, go into the earth. They mine these minerals. They mine these precious things out of the earth that God has put in them, you know. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's expensive. It's hard work. 
but the results are worth the effort and the expense. Well, listen, folks, when you were saved, God put everything he had in you. The Apostle Paul says that we have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has reserved nothing. Everything is available to us. We live like paupers only because we have refused to be obedient to God. So, day by day, we are to work out to see that our salvation is being mined to its fullest. God wants us to be. It's like the slogan that we see on television sometimes. All that he created us to be. He wants us to be all that we can be because of what he has put within us. You see, the Christian life is not one of defeats and misery. It's a life of progress. It's a life of joy and victory. Our responsibility to be what he has saved us to be. That's a responsibility. And we will be. If we make every effort, if we continue to mine those things that God has put within us. For it is God who works in you. It is God who has blessed us. It is, we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He has created in advance for us to do. We are prepared to do godly things. Now, so we have the example of our work. We have the exhortation in our work. We have the enablement of our work. The enablement of our work. And there in verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know, before we were saved, God worked upon us. He was working on me, and he was working on you. God had his eye upon you. But since you've been saved, God works within you. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding as to what the will of God is for our lives, and he creates within us this desire to carry out that will. Do you have that desire? Do you have that desire in your hearts? When you wake up in the morning, when you get off your bed, is it, are you looking for Jesus? Are you asking for Jesus to come into your life to give, for the Lord to give you Jesus today so that you can walk with him? Jesus is there in your heart already. Is it your desire to walk with him in obedience today? Is it your desire? Does it burn in your heart to open the word of God and to read the treasures, to discover the treasures which God has placed in there for you and for me? Do you have that passion in your heart to do the things which you know will bring God glory when he provides you opportunities to serve others? If you don't have that passion in your heart, if you don't have a desire in your heart for these things, folks, you need to check out your salvation. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding. That's how the Christian life operates God reveals his will to us, and we follow him in obedience. 
The Christian life isn't one of passive involvement. You don't just sit back and watch what God is doing, watching Him do all the work. No, He places within you a desire to be involved in that work. He shows us what to do. He shows us how we do it. He shows us, and we are supposed to go and to do it. After all, that's that's why He saved us. God saved us to work, and He's equipped us for that work. So, we not only have expectations in the Christian's work, but there are also the expectations of the Christian's walk. In verses 14 and 15, Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Oh, wow. What a verse. You know, we are to carry out God's will without murmuring. Mm, mm, mm. I just don't want to do this today. Lord, you just don't understand how I feel. Lord, I just can't work with that person and I'm not going to do it. I mean, they're just the most disagreeable people I've ever met. And they just don't see things. We don't see things the same way. I don't like them. Uh, you know what? This murmuring, it, it, it means to mutter. It's a secret displeasure in the heart. Something that's not publicly revealed. Oh, what a tragedy it would be. And I'm afraid that this is not uncommon among many people. That they, they go to church, they speak the right words to each other, they uh, glad hand each other, you know, smile on their face. But in their heart is, you know, I don't really want to be here. Uh, I don't really want to do this. You know, saying that we love God. How can we go uh, be among God's people and act one way when in our heart is something entirely different? Well, we're to do it without disputing, without murmuring, without disputing. Oh, that's another one. Boy, I tell you, it's a word which means uh, hesitation. It means arguing. You know, it was murmuring and disputing that kept the children of Israel in trouble out in the wilderness for 40 years. Have you, do you, you've been murmuring or uh, d- d- disputing with God? I want to tell you something, folks. If you want God's favor upon you, when he speaks to you, you better respond. You better listen. All right? I simply cannot understand how a man, how any person, man or woman, can say, Lord, I'm just not ready to do that right now. You know, I've got all this to do. And when I get that done and things are in order, then I'll, I'll, I'll answer you. Okay? I'll do it. I'll do what you want me to do. But i got too much to do right now, Lord. You just don't understand. Foolishness. That's exactly what it is. When the Lord speaks, he wants us to obey his voice without trying to change his mind, without trying to find a way out of doing his will. All right. Simply put, we just trust and obey. Trust and obey. So not only are we to walk in obedience to God, but we are to walk in opposition to the world. 
Oh, my goodness. The scripture says that we are to be um, blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Blameless. Oh, my goodness sake. That's a word that means free from fault or defect. Harmless. It means unmixed. Okay. Ah. Uh, in other words, a harmless person is just what he claims to be. There's no hypocrisy, no pretense in his, in his life. Uh, you know, it's, it's so easy. You know, we can come on Sunday morning, we sit and we listen to the message and we, uh, uh, and we talk so well with our, uh, fellow members of the church and we go home and on Monday things are totally different. Instead of listening to the voice of God, we'd rather listen to the voice of the world. Instead of listening to what God and Christ seeks to do through us, wants to do for us, we have our own plan already set out that we want to accomplish. That's walking in obedience to the world. Walking in opposition to the world, it means that there is no hypocrisy. There is no pretense in our life. This is what, you know, a person who is like this, without this, is, is what he says he is. We are to stand out as sons of God without fault. The bottom line, folks, is this. People should be able to look at your life and mine. And even if they disagree, they should still be able to, uh, they should not be able to see any point or to point out any areas of hypocrisy in our lives. This world we live in is crooked. It's perverse. The Christian needs to stand out. The Christian needs to stand apart, to be straight and true at all times. And so while there is the expectations of the Christian's work, the expectation of the Christian's walk, we have also the expectation of the Christian's witness. The expectation of the Christian's witness. The, the, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, listen to this, for we are not to wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principality, excuse me. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not learned Christ this way. This is not how we have been taught. In Jesus Christ. We are to shine. He says. That we are to. uh, In this crooked and perverse generation. We are to shine as lights in the world. Lighthouses. You know. We we light the way for uh, those that are in the dangers of sin. You know. And we need to point them to the safe harbors of salvation. We're to be light reflectors, always reflecting the light of Christ to those that are in darkness. You know, it's like the moon. The moon uh, reflects the light of the sun 
onto the dark side of the earth. That's who we are to be. Those who reflect the light of the Son of God in our lives to those who are around us as we walk through this dark world. Remember, folks, again, you may be the only Bible that some folks will ever read. But not only is the Christian to shine, the Christian is to share. Paul says in this verse 16, we are to hold fast the word of life. Hold fast. That's a powerful sentence. It's a strong sentence. It means to hold on for dear life. It means that something is so precious, so valuable to you that you hold on to it. You're not going to let it go. You protect it. You know, I remember in my young life seeing the Hope Diamond. I don't know if any of you all have ever seen it before. But uh, it's, it's in the uh, Smithsonian Museum of Natural History where it's been on display since 1958. Well, this diamond weighs 45 and a half carats. It's worth over $4 million, $45 million, excuse me. <laughs> it's the largest blue diamond in the world. And its sheer beauty and uh, value have earned its place in history. Like this, by the same token, folks, <coughs> we have within us this precious, priceless word of life. And we are to take the faith. We are to commanded to keep this word of life on display in our lives. This word of life that we possess, again, it's beyond price. It's beyond value. God has saved your soul. You can and should be light for him. Oh, you may feel like your light sometimes is dim. But listen, with Christ in you, you can light it into a blazing fire. You know, Peter was a great torch. He was ignited by Andrew's match. (laughs) D.L. Moody. He was another one, a great torch. And he was ignited by this little fellow, this little match named Mr. Kimbrell, a shoe collar. Spurgeon, what a torch <coughs> that he was. And he, his, his life was lighted, oh my goodness, ignited by some unknown layman. I don't know who it was. One of the greatest preachers of our time, of our history. But, you know, never underestimate what the Lord can do with your life. If you will simply yield it to him and let him shine through you. That's all that he asks. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ has such a desire, such a burning desire in his heart to be at work in your life. He has such a burning desire to, to walk with you, to have you walk with him day by day. He has such a burning desire to let him, others see him in you. But you know, some folks have adopted this notion that the Christian life is one that makes no demands on its followers. 
Well, you know, nothing could be farther than the truth, from the truth. God saved you, folks. And he saved you with the expectation that we would be different in our lives. That we would live in thanksgiving for his grace. That we would be active in his work and obedient to his voice. Are you? Are you living up to God's expectations in your life today? God knows where you've been. He knows where you are right now. And he is just waiting to empower you. He is just waiting for you to be open and receptive to the opportunity that he wants to put before you right now. What a tragedy is when God places that before your eyes right there and and you turn away. You have some kind of fearful reaction or you say, "Uh, you know, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that, you know. Why? Because we, we're not of a mind to know what it is to do. But when we take the risk, when we trust God, when we step out in obedience to his call in that situation, God empowers us, he works through us, and he is the one who accomplishes it, not us. And guess what? You get the sheer joy of seeing God work through you and your impact upon the lives of others. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's what your life can be today. If you're walking right now outside of Christ and you're simply trying to work out your plan, your life plan, if you're working from day to day and all you're trying to do is to please your boss and get that next promotion, if those are the things that are a priority to you right now, then you're losing it, folks. You're missing out. Because God has greater things for you. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to change your job and that he's going to move you to Ethiopia or to some place in West Africa, you know, out in the boondocks. That's not what I'm saying, because God can and probably does want to use you right where you are. Just need to yield to him. And so he is waiting for you. He's saying, won't you come? Won't you come and respond to me? Won't you come and place your trust in me? I know you don't understand what's going to happen. I know you don't understand the power, all the power of all this and everything. But just know that I love you. And I want you to trust me because I've already given everything for you. Will you do that this morning? You have the opportunity right now. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment, Andrew. All right. You have the opportunity right now just to step out and come down here and say, I want more than anything else in the world right now for Christ to work in my life. I know I've been doing things my own way. God doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care where you are right now. He only cares about your decision that you're going to make right now in this moment. And so I'm asking you, if you will, respond to him. Respond to his love, to his tender appeal to you to come and receive him into your heart. 
turning away from your old ways, turning to him and let him shape your new life in Christ. Will you do that as we stand together and sing?